back to Clinical Break Room Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Alexis Kirkpatrick, and my husband, Will Kirkpatrick. We are going to talk about three significant nursing topics. (laughs) Issues going on around the world. We wanted to talk about the nursing shortage, nursing violence, and then the big medication issue in the U.S. in general. So um, we wanted to first start talking about the nursing shortage because everyone talks about that, but no one really actually dives deep into the statistics. And also, since we're nurses and with me directly having hospital experience and kind of seeing it for myself of what's going on out there, um, it'd be kind of cool to get that out to the public and kind of open your guys' eyes and what it means, what a nursing shortage actually means for not just the United States, but the entire world. So I wanted to go ahead and put some facts out there that there is expected to be a growth of nurses in the workforce from 3.1 million. So currently we have 3.1 million, and this is 2021 statistics. And we're supposed to grow to 3.3 million in 2031, which is only a 195,000 addition to what we currently have. And what the statistic is showing right now is that we are projecting to have over 203,000 jobs for RNs open and not filled throughout the year of 2031. So the projections, the numbers are not uh, going in our favor of uh, how fast we actually need to grow the nursing workforce. So of course, you know, demand is very high and that's always a good career to go into if you're thinking about being a nurse. But there's probably lots of people who are, you know, questioning if that's the right move, of course. And, you know, we, you know, everybody kind of questions, I feel like, if they go into nursing school, Mike, is it, you know, everyone hears horror stories about nursing, which we'll kind of get into all the different things. But, uh, yeah, so nursing shortage is a huge, uh, very real uh, issue uh, going on, not just in the U.S., but everywhere. Um, there's just simply not enough nurses, and especially the U.S., everyone talks about those baby boomers that are just getting older and older. Mm-hmm. And there's not going to be very many people to take care of them. And, you know, as, of course, as we get old, there's likely going to be some sort of hospitalization if you're reaching over 75 years old, especially. Um, So we wanted to talk about, you know, why is there a nursing shortage and kind of what our experience is, like what our experience is uh, personally. Um, So more statistics also is that all while we have a nursing shortage, we have a nursing education shortage. So there's just as much of a nursing instructor shortage as there is a nurses at the bedside. So and when we talk about shortage, it's nurses at the bedside. Like, we can't keep nurses in the hospital setting because of the issues going on with that. So, not sure if you guys know about it, but we have a waiting list of nursing applicants over 90,000. So, all while we have this giant nursing shortage where we need 203,000 jobs filled that aren't being filled every year, all the way until 2031, they're projecting, we also have a waiting list with these nursing schools that are not even able to supply the nursing workforce in a sufficient way because of there's a shortage of nursing instructors. So, you know, we going through nursing school, we went through a community college, so we didn't really have a whole lot of shortages uh, with instructors. I feel like we were, you know, uh, supported pretty well going through nursing school, but there's definitely a lot of colleges out there right now that their capacity is this and, you know, they can't grow because they don't have enough people to actually take them in. So it's an issue. How many um, nursing students got denied because of the lack of instructors? Well, 
it says over 90,000 in the year of 2021 alone, just that school year. So in a one-year period, that was over 90,000 people that could have been nurses in two years if they were doing associates that aren't going to be nurses now. They have to wait. And, you know, when people wait, they're not going to just wait around for a profession. You know, many of them don't end up doing another you yeah, know, you have another to. job. You know, you got to live and provide yeah. for your family. So, you when, know. when I mean, when we were nursing school, we started out with like a hundred students, and then, you know, over time, people like would fail out or they would, you know, just drop. And so, I mean, we graduated with what forty, you think? Yeah, probably. Yeah, around there, even less, maybe. So, I mean, that's also an issue is just lazy people. Yeah, and it also says that the median age for a nurse right now is 46 years old. Wow. Which tells you that there's not very Retirement. many young people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you don't have many years of... That's exactly why they're projecting over 200,000 jobs being opened through the year 2031 because a lot of those nurses are already older and, you know, they're and a lot of them, especially when you get older, you don't want to be in the hospital setting because it is a yeah. rough job on your body and, of course, mentally too. So, yeah, it's definitely an issue. And uh, we also had, last statistic before we kind of start talking about our personal experiences, that we've had the biggest exit of the nursing profession after COVID. So between 2020 and 2021, we had over 100,000 nurses leave the nursing profession, with most of those being under the age of 35 years old. They just completely left nursing altogether. They went to a different industry or, you know, they're not coming back. So... That was also, that was the biggest in, said, four decades. Hmm. Biggest exit in four decades. Um, which, so everyone likes to talk about how COVID was like the the issue of why that happened. Well, it was happening before COVID ever happened. There's a problem with our healthcare system in general, in the U.S. especially, that is not very supportive of healthcare workers. So it's not just nurses, but Nurses are the biggest uh, profession in healthcare uh, by numbers. Uh, we have, over, like I said, over 3.1 million nurses in the U.S., uh, which is pretty big. And that is the largest uh, profession in the healthcare. So that's, it just goes to show you that you know, we have a huge shortage. We need more nurses. So we need more support. There, what's the reason why these nurses are leaving? And what's the reason why people don't want to get into nursing? So um, I had some opinions on that specifically is that the biggest thing that we saw too, that a lot of the nurses that do leave, they're under one year of experience. There's like not much support. I mean, even with you, I know you, Lexi didn't go into a hospital when she first came out of school, which is totally fine. On purpose. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I went into the hospital for my first job and the transition to practice, so like when you get out of school, the school didn't really prepare us for like the real world, at least for me. Now, it might be different for you, but at least for me, I didn't really feel completely prepared. Like there is, you know, there's those little things that you just don't know until you're on the job. But the thing with nursing is, is you really don't get much time to actually learn what you need to know well, before you you're on your own. Well, you can because you're, you, when you're in the hospital, and you're a you're a nursing student. You can't do a lot of things just because yeah. it's a liability. Yeah, they don't want you to. Obviously, I mean, rightfully so. They don't want patient yeah. patients to you know be harmed. And this is exactly what the problem is with nursing shortage. We have nobody to teach these new nurses. There's nobody really precepting them the right way. I mean, people that are precepting you have less than one year of experience themselves. Yeah. I mean, there's charge nurses that have one less of experience in a lot of hospitals. 
which I'm not saying there's some people that have one le- like, you know, if you're good at your job, you're good at your job. I'm not saying not, you know, downgrading that if you have one, you know, less than one year of experience that you shouldn't be a charge nurse. I'm not saying that at all, but it is, you know, it goes to show that, that they can't really keep nurses in the hospital because of the toxic burnout. environment, <laughs> burnout. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you guys know, if you've ever been in a hospital, but it's a pretty high stress job, no matter kind of where you go and what unit you're working in. Um, nurses, a lot of people think nurses just spend their day, you know, doing uh, assistance, assistance in like daily living care. They, they wipe butts all day and all that, but, or they say, oh, they just pass meds, you know, they just do that. And the doctor does everything else. And no, but nurses are customer service. They're janitors, they're cafeteria workers, they're everything you can possibly think of. When if there's something, if a resource fails in the hospital, it's the nurse's job to pick it up. Like that's just facts. Like the nurse has to do pretty much everything. They have to be an electrician. They you're have to a mental health out. counselor. <laughs> yeah. They, if the TV you're the goes, chaplain. Yeah. If the TV goes out, you have to figure out your channel for your patient. You have to go get. You know, have to redo their laundry. It's just like, there's just like so many things that fall onto the nurse, uh, every single day. Um, and you know, my personal experience is like, I got precepted, which I, I feel like I got lucky compared to, you know, you had a good, yeah, I did. And you know, that's probably why I stayed in the hospital longer than most do, uh, my, at least with our age anyways, um, is I had a good, uh, group around me. Now, but I hear all the time, you know, on our Facebook groups and stuff that nurses students will come, nurses students will come out of school, they'll go through a residency program, and then, you know, there's not very much support after that. There's, like, the healthcare system's not going to be supporting you. You get put into a crappy contract by that hospital. Mm-hmm. You have to stay for two years. And if yeah. you don't, then you pay the money back. It's just, like, such a toxic thing. And mm. not very many people who... Like generally people would not like to sign a contract like that, but that's like the only thing available for nurses and they get put into this crappy situation where there's a nursing shortage. So you get over assigned patients and I'm not sure if you guys know, but like when nurses, I'm sure I'm maybe some of you guys have like rolled your eyes, like all oh, these nurses that constantly complain about, you know, there's not enough nurses at the bedside and the healthcare systems aren't helping them. But you guys do understand, maybe you guys think that nurses are being selfish, but you guys do understand that by nurses advocating for themselves to make their job easier, sure, it might sound like nurses are whining all the time, but by them advocating to make their job easier is also advocating for you in return because you guys got to understand the harder your nurse's job is, the more likely you're going to die in the hospital. <laughs> I suspect it sounds kind of like gruesome, but... Yeah, the increased risk of medical error. Yeah, and, and the more stressed your nurse is throughout the mm-hmm. day, the more patients he or she has in that unit, uh, the more likely you're not going to get enough time for your care that you need. You know, and people think, oh, they're there for 12 hours. What are they doing for 12 hours? Like you can do anything in 12 hours. Well, when you have four patients and you have to be extremely good at time management as a nurse, you have four patients and you may, you kind of have to distribute that time out. You have 12 hours, but each one of those patients might be getting two hours throughout the whole day. Or I only have like two hours to do all of these things for you, you know, pass meds, you know, Nerd get your labs every hour yeah. that take 30 do your minutes assess, and make sure nothing's go- going on with you. It's, we are the grunt workers in the healthcare system. We're, we're your last defense as a nurse. So like a doctor could order anything. 
say they accidentally ordered something for you that belonged to another patient, it's your nurse's job to catch that kind of stuff. So a nurse is extremely vital. So I'm, when you guys hear that there's a nursing shortage, you guys, we, the public really does need to do something bigger than what they already are. Like they need to step up too. It shouldn't be just nurses advocating. So instead of you guys thinking, I know people think this, that they're tired of hearing nurses like whining about their job. It's not just because their job's hard, but you guys do understand that nurses have a high stress job where they're actually taking care of human beings. Like if they fail to do their job, that means something bad happened. And it is traumatic for a lot of new nurses, especially, or even it doesn't matter how many years you could be a nurse for 20 years. And if your patient dies in front of you, it doesn't get any easier. And if it, they die because you didn't have enough time to take care of them, that's super hard to deal with. Like it's almost impossible not to take that home. So by nurses whining and complaining about how hard their job is, well, they're really advocating for you. So if you ever do end up having to go to the hospital, God forbid, that you'll actually receive the amount of time and care that you need to survive. Because if you don't have nurses, you aren't surviving. <laughs> Preach. So, yeah. So that's, uh, that's just something we uh, wanted to talk about. And there's lots of different things that we could go from there about why there is a shortage. I mean, I'm not going to go into all of the things because that's a pretty much a multidimensional thing where whether it's not enough experience, not enough pay, people talk about the pay quite a bit, which I agree nurses based off their skill level should be paid more because there's other professions out there that don't have nearly don't even have a degree and they're getting close to being as paid as much as a nurse mm -hmm. is. You know, in my opinion, $30 an hour is pretty unacceptable, even as a new grad nurse, which I know that's like the starting rate for a lot of areas, but this depends on where you live. But um, pay is a big one. Healthcare system not supportive is a big one. You're put in crappy situations constantly because you don't have enough nurses. And the more toxic your hospital is that you work for, the more terrible your job's going to be because, and the more high risk it's going to be. That's another thing. People don't talk about, um, I know I'm ranting a little bit, but uh, people don't talk about how nurses, they work and they can get sued and put in jail for working. As there's not very many other jobs out there that you know can actually risk your actual personal life by going to work. I can go to work and if I make a medical error and I get sued, then that means... I could potentially, well, of course, I'll lose my license for one. Then there's my livelihood that I just spent all my life for. And then number two, I could possibly get thrown in jail just for being a nurse. The more toxic or unsupportive your healthcare system is, the more likely that happens to you as a nurse. So it is a big deal. And it's not just, you know, selfishly thinking about nurses. Well, in turn, you're, you know, advocating for literally everybody who is eventually, you know, odds are going to need some sort of healthcare in your life. Because, um, of course, modern day, we're not just going to let people die out in the streets. So if you need something in the hospital, well, you better hope that your hospital system is supportive of your nurses because that's life or death. <laughs> so um, so that's just our opinion. But um, next thing we wanted to transition into was nursing violence. And, of course, that's also another factor of nursing shortage. And we had a story that came out in December of a nurse who was a home health nurse and they visited their patient um, in their home of course traveled to their house to help give them medication and then next thing you know she went missing and then they found her in the basement uh, in, of that patient's house 
uh, he killed her and uh, they found her dead in the patient's house. So that's another thing you could find. Terrible. Yeah. You could literally go to Google and type nurse killed and it would probably pop up every single state. There's a new story coming out that a nurse got killed like every other or every other week or every month um, that there's nursing violence going on. And that's another thing with hospital systems that there's really not much out there that really prevents or secures nurses safety Hmm. because especially in the emergency department, you'd be putting around some, uh, of course, criminals, Hmm. but when criminals especially get, you know, sick or they get, you know, there's a lot of psych going on in the ED. Of course they do have police officers there, but there's really not, you know, especially in those rural areas where you don't have a whole lot of police. Yeah, any resources? <laughs> no, and uh, like we just talked about the home health nurse who has no backup right. at all. It's pretty scary because nurses get put in dangerous situations all the time. And there's just same, seems to be nothing that is preventing that from happening. Yeah. Like if someone wants you're you're put in a dangerous situation. We had we live in the Dallas area and there's it was at least a year ago now, maybe 2 years ago now. There's a hospital in the Dallas area that a uh, person came in with a gun, just walked right through and started shooting people. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just crazy. So that's, I know a lot of people, especially nursing students, we hear about them concerned about, you know, nursing violence, especially if we work in the ED. Um, but that, it's just sad, you know, that there's lots that we probably could do. And that's, you know, kind of goes off of like school shootings and everything too, is that, there's a lot of ways that we can actually improve security in those kind of high risk environments and because they have money. Yeah. And we, and there's, and they yeah. decide not to. I so. know that there's some like emergency departments, um, in downtown areas that have like metal detectors and yeah, they check your bags, make sure that you don't have any, you know, weapons on you and, and things like that. But, um, I mean, obviously not every place has those resources, yeah. And just yeah, having those so. resources could save a life pretty much. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I work. When, when enough people come together, I feel like things get closer to something. Yeah. You know, when enough people come together and, you know, bring them facts and what's the issue and what, what's a good re like resolution. And, you know, I mean, hospitals have money. I mean, they have a lot of money. Well, they also, and, you know, they get they supported can, by government agencies yeah, as well. They can afford, they could probably afford metal detectors because, or, you know, an, another resource officer sitting at the front just checking bags or pockets or, yeah. you know, going through a metal detector. I mean, there's simple, I feel like there's simple ways that, you know, would, would make a difference. Yeah, there's absolutely no reason that someone with a gun can walk straight into a hospital, go up to like the eighth floor where the maternity they were in the, is. Yeah, it was the L&D. Yeah, where a patient just delivered a baby, and that dude has a gun, and he's shooting healthcare yeah. worker. Shot a nurse, killed a nurse, and also, I think, a nursing assistant. And also, I forget who else he shot. He didn't shoot the patient, though, I don't I, think. Did he shoot himself? I can't remember. But but anyways, it's just ridiculous. I mean, he had easy access just to right a through. floor. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. And, you know. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy to think that there's easy access to, like, any floor on a hospital unit. Because what if someone, I mean, I know you have to badge into certain areas. Yeah. But, like, 
there's a lot of areas that are just open. Like you could just walk right through the front door and take someone's IV out or take their med and yeah. stick it in, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of I like, mean, foul play that could happen. In the yeah, hospital. it's just and and there's a lot of I mean, there's like a, a lot of things people could use as weapons. They could just come right in and, you know, I mean, and every person or patient there's vulnerable. Yeah. Cuz they're sick or in a bed or so it does seem crazy like to think about how um accessible any floor is on a hospital in a hospital yeah it, like i'll tell you like i worked in icu i get angry people all the time so like what's telling you that they don't come back and bring their gun next time they come in the hospital and yeah come after you and target you because oh you didn't do this for my dad or whatever or, or they blame you like it's your fault because a lot of people do blame you know yeah the healthcare workers or the doctors doctors are always like you know yeah they're they're always in a dangerous situation too because mm-hmm. if they feel like they're not doing what they should then you know if there's mentally ill people out there then you're at high risk for being attacked like all healthcare workers are high risk for being attacked yeah because you know they're they in the to blame stress for, yeah. everybody's you know in the hospital with stressed out people around you, yeah so. Uh, that's the worst part of a lot of people's lives is being in a hospital yeah and you know people in general don't need to go to work and have to worry about their safety that's just not fair yeah especially you know Mm. especially someone who's trying to save lives (laughs) yeah and prevent you know prevent death going on in the hospital and then you know that happens so it's pretty unfortunate but we you know that home health nurse i mean what do you do like they're like there's something that maybe you could have done like if that's a violent person maybe you require i mean you know, you're a supervisor that comes through i don't know but that's a pretty unfortunate situation yeah. that i mean yeah i mean i don't know how you would prevent that i mean i did home health and you go into people's homes and you know you you give people the benefit of the doubt yeah you know you trust people and i mean you're in their home so they could do whatever they wanted to you're not out in the public yeah you know, you just have to make sure that, you know, as a nurse, you check your surroundings and you're, you're safe. You know, you have an Apple watch on that can, you know, call your emergency contact or call 911 or, you know, you have to, you have to think about those things. And I mean, you should always be thinking about those things, even when you're out shopping or, you know, yeah. you should always be thinking about like, what can I do when I'm in a situation that, you know, I need to call someone. But, um, I mean, that's just so sad. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. So we're next thing we're wanting to talk about is uh, the medication uh, issue in in our country, and you know, kind of how like pharmaceuticals has controlled the entire uh, healthcare industry in the U.S. Uh, so and as insurance nurses, companies <laughs> and insurance companies, yeah. So we were wanting to talk kind of about that and bring some light into that because a lot of people don't really know, you know, the issue about behind medication, and you know, as nurses, we see it all the time. There's you know, 90-year-old grandma that has like 25 medications on her medication list and, you know, who who knows how many of those medications are interacting with each other or mm-hmm. they're counteracting each other. Polypharmacy. Uh, or, yeah, or causing other, more mm-hmm. signs and symptoms that, you know, that yeah. you won't ever know because you have 20, 25 different medications to look through. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, I saw that. So I did home health. So I feel like home health nurses see that like directly, you know, I mean, I can, there's patients out there that have 25, 30 medications, like prescription meds. Like, oh my goodness. It's, if you really think about just what one med can do, I mean, it's, it's scary. It's actually really scary. Yeah. 
And um, so I saw that a lot as a home health nurse. And, and most most of my patients, like a big trend I always saw was with beta blockers. Um, you know, they lower your heart rate and your blood pressure. And so patients like I had patients that were on beta blockers that didn't even have a blood pressure cuff at home. I'm like, <laughs> you know that you're supposed to check your blood pressure and your heart rate before you even take this medication because like there are parameters <laughs> like to hold this medication and um i can't even tell you how many patients i saw that did not ever was never told that once yeah. ever That's ever huge no one knows yeah and so i mean i saw patients that would um so i had a lot of patients that had orthostatic hypotension like they would you know, get dizzy and, and I mean, I had old patients that would get dizzy and fall. And so like whenever I would have, you know, a new patient that, you know, had recurring falls, I would always, um, check, you know, the orthostat, I would always check their blood pressure sitting and standing to see if there was any drops. And a lot of my patients had significant drops and like they would, they were not taking their blood pressure medications correctly. And then it would result in a fall. And sometimes that would result in a hip fracture or whatever. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, if you were, you know, educated on how to take your medication properly, you would not have a broken hip right now. Yeah. Like literally, like that's how, you know, much that cascades into like yeah, a, ter- a hospitalization that. and, and it's surgery and, and, you know, there's just so many risks involved. And, um, I mean, even patients simply that, um, you know, say you're taking 50 milligrams of, you know, metoprolol and then you lose 50 pounds and then the patient's still taking 50 milligrams after they just lost 50 pounds. I mean, that medication is not, should, should be changed, you know, or it should be, you know, their, their blood pressure should be assessed to see if, you know, it's still therapeutic for the patient. Cause I had patients that would lose weight and, you know, they would tell me, Oh my gosh, I'm like super dizzy now. And I'm like, have you recently lost weight? Oh yeah. You know, I've lost 20 pounds. Oh, and you're still in the same dose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? Like yep. for real? And so anyways, there's, there's, there's such a, there's polypharmacy. I mean, patients are on so many meds and, you know, it's so crazy to me that, um, you know, oh my gosh, I would feel so uncomfortable, you know, just pushing all these, like, you know, refilling all these meds for a patient. I'd be scared of to order one. That's why I'm in wound care. I'm like, (laughs) I don't like, like meds are scary. And and the amount of polypharmacy in old patients where, you know, they're way higher risk of, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And it's sad. It's actually really sad. Yeah. And the lack of education, um, is really sad because I mean, all cascades, you know, is there not enough time, you know, or provide, does you know does the patient not get enough time with their provider you know like what's what's the issue here you know what's going on because um it's an it's an actual issue and it's kind of a quiet issue because you know a patient will go into the hospital with low blood pressure but like um you know you don't really ever talk about i don't know it's it just in my head it seems like a quiet issue yeah it is yeah because it's it's like you know, the, the waters are kind of rocky and it's not like a, you know, like, oh, you have CHF because, you know, this is your, you know, echo result or whatever. Like, you know, when you're taking like 50 meds, how does one say, you know, that this was caused 
specifically from, you know, it, it's kind of like a, it's just a, a quiet thing where, um, it, it gets missed a yeah. lot. So, yeah, it's these, the biggest issue is that we have a terrible primary care system in the U S we are very good. We have very advanced technology. We're very good at like, I, you know, critical care. We have really good hospitals that, you know, can treat patients very well based off, you know, the providers are very knowledgeable. They can treat sick people really well, but like there's no, there's pretty much no preventative care in the U S you know, that we have insurance companies that are pretty much limiting where they're depicting on how long a physician can see a patient. And this is how they bill because it's all like financially, you know, driven. Yeah. And I mean, it's so financially they, driven They're like this insurance company's like, Oh, this is a 15 minute visit. You see them for 15 minutes. The, how about like individualized care where every patient is going to have an individualized issue and that they don't need to be treated like some sort of uh, you know, pond where you just throw different products at them, you know, AKA medications. And then they, you know, we'll come back in another two months and we'll just see how it happened. Like, how about like actually looking at the root cause of what's going on with the patient? But you can't ever do that with 15 minutes. Like, yeah, I'm sure also, a lot of people are listening is like, they go into the doctor's office and they talk to them for like two minutes. Like, what is that going to do? Yeah. Oh, you're having this? Okay, here, take this. It's not well, like actually like, okay, what there's any, everything in healthcare people don't realize is that something that you're dealing with right now or ended up getting you into the hospital, it's typically not just one single thing. This is something that's been building up. Like thing, events that, you know, compiled into one and mm-hmm. that one event is going into the hospital. It's not usually just like, oh, or, you know, unless it's like some kind of car accident or like something that's a direct cause of like what's going on. But a lot of times like chronic illness, this is a, you know, this is multiple things laying on top of each other. Yeah. That and people don't ever talk about because we have no preventative care. Yeah. So. We have no preventative care. Be- and a big thing is because insurance companies don't cover preventative care. Um they don't cover a lot of like, they don't cover a lot of labs that aren't, um, you know, in your typical like yearly, you know, examination. Like there's labs out there that are, that are really important in, in looking at certain, you know, hormonal functions or whatever that aren't covered by insurance. So patients have to pay out of pocket. Um, you know, your, your insurance company only covers this, you know, once every five years or one, you know, so physicians have like, they have to, unfortunately go by what the insurance company says. So the patient's not left with a big bill. And, you know, if a, if a doctor wants to order like, you know, an MRI, you know, of whatever, they have to get insurance approval. And, um, you know, sometimes like, and whoever's approving this MRI is like, you know, if it's an MRI for like a wound patient, you know, it could be a pediatrician or, you know, someone that doesn't even have any idea what your specialty is and, and all the ins and outs of your specialty, they could deny, yeah, you know, you, they could deny your, your imaging. And it's like, why? And then, you know, you have a patient that comes in with, um, you know, diabetes and, you know, you tell your patient, Oh, like this is the treatment plan. And it's like, doesn't talk about diet, doesn't talk about exercise, doesn't talk about how, you know, you don't have to live with type two diabetes the rest of your life, yeah. but but people think they do. It's like, oh, I have this diagnosis. You know, no one ever talks about like, you don't have to have this diagnosis. Like, that's the beauty about our lives is like, 
you know, if you're fat, like you don't have to be fat. If you have diabetes, you don't have to have diabetes, you know? And, and we live in a society that's like, oh, it's okay. There's a med for that. You know, just start this med and, and like, where's the, where's the diet? That's the biggest freaking thing that should be, you know, talked about. Like I, and when I was in home health, I tried, I had so many patients that needed like dietary help and like they needed a dietitian. And let me just tell you how many insurance companies or how many resources they there were for dietitians like in the home. Zero. Yeah. I never could get one. And I, I'm not kidding you. I tried, I tried often. And having a dietitian in the home would be the best thing ever because when someone's learning about diet in the hospital, they're like in an acute condition. Like they don't care about their diet. You know, if you go into someone's home, if a dietitian goes into someone's home, they can look in your cupboards. They can look at your kitchen. They can look at, you know, what resources you have or, you know, how your kitchen's set up to see, you know, how you can make this or what appliances you have. Or, I mean, there's just so many things that are lost in our healthcare system um, that get me fired up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lex and I both are very, like, we're very preventative thinking. Like, there's, our country is so reactive instead of proactive like we it's almost i'm not going to say it like i'm not a conspiracy theorist it's almost that we want people to get sick so that way we can you know provide them products aka medications to make money yeah um it's just doctors aren't allowed to be doctors anymore they don't even get to make their own decisions like preventative care is just like oh it's actually insurance making all of your decisions who could be just somebody who's has no medical background at all and based off of their policies all yeah. they are is just policy followers. They can follow, you know, step-by-step policies that these insurance companies make. So that way they can make sure they're not going under with their finances. So this doctor thinks you actually need this imaging, such as like an MRI. Okay, you really need this. But, oh, we have to get approval from <clears throat> insurance company. We have to get a prior yeah. authorization. So that way you don't have to pay out of pocket. Because, you know, you're already paying monthly for your premium. That's, you know, even allowing you to come and actually have the opportunity to have these services done for you but no they can deny it because you know yeah but you're like i just paid you eight hundred dollars for my insurance where did you just put the eight hundred dollars yeah you go to a a year your annual visit and you don't like for us like we we had insurance and we would go to our annual visit pay eight hundred dollars a month for our entire family and we go to our annual visit we don't go to the doctor at all we like we go for annuals for like labs and yeah. you know whatever, but we go annuals and then I had to pay out of pocket for my annual. Like, yeah, I had to pay a portion of it. I'm like, what yeah, you had to you had to pay. You know, it's just ridiculous. Even if it was only like it was less than a hundred dollars, I don't care. I'm. I know. I'm you. like, I just paid you whatever eight hundred times twelve is <laughs> for the year. Yeah. Like, where did all that money go? That would have paid for this visit and then some. So yeah, we actually we had private insurance. Yeah. And we actually switched to um, like a, a Christian care organization where yeah. you, you know, you pay into a big, everyone pays into like a big pot and it's, you pay um, yourself pay everywhere you go. But if you, you know, have a bill that's like $6,000 or higher than the organization pays for, it's called um, a MediShare. Yeah. And anyways, <clears throat> we are very happy with yeah, that switch because should be it's not yeah they're not trying to uh it's everyone puts their money in a big pot and then whoever goes it gets you know, taken you know if you're yeah, part of the you, as a member then you go if you end up do going to the hospital you have something happen then yeah. you know the community pays for your bills 
that's how insurance should be. It should be a community-driven thing, not a, uh, organi- or a corporation that tries to launder money from everybody and then yeah. you know, decide what you get or not get from your health care. Because here's the thing that people don't know. This is a, ba- a major thing. If you don't have insurance, you don't go into the doctor's office. And let's give it an example of like, what's, well, we're going to pick up our metoprolol. So you go into the pharmacy to pick up your prescription from your doctor and you have insurance, right? Well, that pharmacist or that pharmacy has to run your prescription through the insurance and they decide what that price is. Your insurance is telling them what the price is. Well, if you're self-pay, let's say like the medication was $2, but the insurance, if it was self-pay, it was $2. But now that you have insurance, they're going to bill you $4 for it because insurance has policies that they have to follow because you're a member from that insurance so like automatically you pay more for that medication Mm -hmm. and that physician or that pharmacy can't even tell you that their price is actually two dollars for the medication because they're not allowed to disclose that information if you're a a, if you belong to an insurance company yeah we that is true so yeah we we that's why we did medicine yeah we're we're self-pay like you know, at the dentist, you know, everywhere. Yeah. And we're like, oh my gosh, cash pay, cash pay. And so it's like, oh my gosh, we're saving so hundreds, probably thousands of, I mean, yeah, we're saving thousands of dollars. Yeah. And by the way, like we pay like what, 250 bucks a month for a family and with a deductible of 6,000 or 12,000. I don't know. Yeah. Something around there. But, uh, we, if we ended up actually do like one of us actually did go into the hospital, it's very likely that, 100% 100% of it gets paid. So that's it, what we... That's it's what not really, very likely it is yeah. paid if it's over yeah, your deductible. over your deductible. So like, that's how insurance should be. Mm-hmm. So we're not trying to tell anybody to make life decisions like that, but we are just trying to at least open your it's eyes. It's just a little like, pointer. Yeah. Uh, well, we've but, uh, learned. It's just unfortunate that like, we have this going on in our country. Yeah. That we have no proactive care. It's all reactive. They're waiting mm-hmm. until you get illness. And then they're like, there's no education behind why you got the illness. No, it's, hey, take this medication to mask it. So that way we can allow it for more years to grow into your body. You know. Oh, yeah. And then this medication <laughs> causes 25 other symptoms. So, so you're going to be taking um, this med, this med, this med, and this med. Yeah. And then those meds cause 25 other things. So then you're <laughs> going to be taking this med, this med, and this med. Yeah, so that way- and then when you're 65, you'll have 40 medications that you need to take. <laughs> yeah. So like, Have take- a good day. <laughs> Take this medication. It's going to cause an issue. And, oh, if you have that issue, here's this medication to come yeah. help that issue. That's exactly how it goes. So it's... I also, mean, also healthcare workers um, have terrible insurance. Like, we got insurance through the hospital that uh, Will worked at, and it was absolutely terrible. Yeah. And the insurance that where I work at offers, terrible. And it's like, we're healthcare. I know. If like, why are you... get, like, I'm not saying free, but at well, least something majorly discounted... Yeah. Is Obamacare there... <laughs> totally wrecked insurance. It did. It's a fact. It is a, it is a fact. It wrecked insurance. Yeah. It raised premiums. I mean, it it ruined health insurance. Yeah. It's I was just going to say like the if anybody should get health good healthcare insurance, it's healthcare workers because there are people who get free healthcare. Like there's there's programs out there, you know, such as like the federal workers and stuff like that. Like at least give like healthcare workers some sort of like discount. Even doctors are like, if yeah. anybody, doctors should be getting really good healthcare uh, pro, uh, programs for insurance, and they don't. They <laughs> they get paid. They have to pay the same amount as most people. You know, like 
I don't even know if there is very many programs out there for them. It's just crazy to think that. Yeah. Like they are healthcare. Well, mm-hmm. you can't say that anymore. Doctors can't even be doctors anymore. They have all this. They went to school for all this. They know like crap ton of stuff, how to save any life. And oh, no, insurance company. Mm-hmm. You, you can't do that because of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all, it's pretty crazy. Money we, driven. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if it'll ever it's, change, but I was gonna in say. our lifetime anyways. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's I things think, that you can do out I there. I think that, a lot of people are opening their eyes up to like, more preventative care just I you know just social media in general like the amount of education that social media has brought like and and just the amount of like oh my gosh it's such an eye-opener to see you know these statistics and these these doctors coming on and you know voicing like what they've seen and I feel like a lot of people are are actually like opening their eyes like wow we really do live in a society that does not have any preventative health yeah and medications are just thrown at people. And, you know, I, I feel like I feel like there has been a big step in the right direction, you know, especially in our age group. I feel like a lot of people. Oh, yeah. There's it's a lot are, more awareness. Yeah. For more. sure. Like there's the health, the healthy lifestyle is getting more popular, I think. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, on the ground, it's getting more popular. But who knows about policy, like how that's ever going to change? Yeah. Because that's we're against very big corporations that are pretty much a monopoly pretty much at this point, especially pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. It's a big business. And, you know, a lot of people don't know this is that the United States and New Zealand are the only two countries in the entire world that allow pharmaceuticals to advertise on TV. If that doesn't tell you something. Yeah. It's, it's almost so obvious. <laughs> like they don't try to hide it. Yeah. Well, they don't, they don't need to. And they're, mm-hmm. they use, you know, trends popular trends to advertise medications not gonna say vaccines but um and people think that vaccines are um, not part of the pharmaceutical in- industry but they very much are um but uh there's <clears throat> lots of things that are going on that people don't really know about and it's pretty unfortunate you know we have a, a we have a, a we United- have a, a lot of people that don't do their own research yeah. Though, so, you know, you have to do your own research in everything you do, not just, you know, your health care. Yeah. But, you know, people just say yes. You know, their doctor's like, oh, you know, get on this med. Okay. You know, well, ad- advocate for yourself. There are some people that do do their own research, and sometimes it kind of is. Yeah, they're like, um, <laughs> they'll yeah. come in. Wikipedia like, told me I had cancer. Yeah, there's, or like, but, they'll tell you what medication they need and stuff, which is not always accurate. And, so there is that, but I'm, I'm more of like saying like on a policy standpoint of like what's the overall, like what's the overarching like power in healthcare and it's pharmaceuticals by far in the U.S. And there's a reason why we don't have, uh, we have lots of foods that are banned in other countries that is allowed in here. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why there's not a lot of education in general on nutrition. And by the way, they don't really put a lot of education for medical doctors or nurses on nutrition. Oh, I can show you my book. I thought this was astounding. <laughs> Um, when I was, um, studying about just medications in my MP book, there was like a page and a half about like natural medicine. Yeah. And there's no research. Yeah. They don't fund the research for that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff because it's not profitable. It's something that that's not man-made. They want something that's man-made that can be manufactured and patented by a certain company that can only be made by this company. They can't patent, you know. What, what's a ashwagandha 
you know, you can patent a version of it, but you can't patent the actual ingredient. Now, we're not saying medications are not like, there are situations, obviously, that medications need to be yeah. used, you know, especially in the hospital. Like, medications are there. They're, they're useful in many situations. but I think pretty abused. much everyone can agree that there is a lot of polypharmacy going on. Yeah, they're definitely abused. It's like, <laughs> just like anything else, it's drug abuse. It's, we're abusing the use of a drug, of a drug for sure. And like Lexi was saying, is that a lot of people don't understand that every time you take a new medication, you're taking a risk. Like you could have, you could be allergic to it or you, you could have a completely different reaction based off your biology um, of each medication you take. Yeah. And it's a risk. And when you're taking 30 meds, you know, how do you safely get off of all those meds if you've been taking them for years? Yeah. I, I had a home health patient that, um, psychotic he he owned a clinic in in plano and um he had so it was a it was a pain management clinic but he got patients off their pain meds and and did you know some natural you know like he did therapy and and just different stimulation things and he i mean he had the coolest stories like and he had Um, a pharmacist working there. He had like a biologist working there to like really help people get off their meds safely because there's so many intricate things that go into, you know, just our, our body's processes and, and getting used to meds. And, um, so there is, I mean, there's a huge risk of, of getting off of them if you've been on them for a while. And so that's another issue. Like a lot of doctors will see that you have 30 meds and you have a patient that's saying, I want to get off my meds. And you know, they'll look at you like, you can't yeah. like you can't get off your meds. You've been on them for years and years and years. And, and you know, what would happen if you got off them? Would you die? Who knows? Right. Yeah. Because I mean, who knows? So you, it's, it's a very intricate process and I feel like it takes, it takes like a lot of time and um, it, it takes a lot of time and, and a lot of doctors and they don't have that time. They don't have you know, the resources to have a pharmacist and all these different people looking at, you know, this, this patient's med list and making sure everything's, you know, they're getting off of it safely. And it's a very intricate process. So a lot of people just, you know, don't do it. Like the doctor's like, no, you can't get off of all your meds. And then they're, you know, so. By the way, it's not really the doctors, doctor, the doctors aren't the bad guy. Yeah. They're, they're just not supported in a healthcare system that, you know, that's, they're not able to do what they want, what they really want to do a lot of the times, you know, there could be great doctors out there and they're just limited on the oh, resources yeah. of yeah. what they can actually do because of, you know, the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical yeah. companies they are only allowed to use this company's drug and, mm-hmm. you know, all the deals that go in with it. And yeah, they have to make a living too. So it's, you can't really blame them on, you know. Oh yeah. There's, provi- there's wonderful yeah, I mean, I hope I don't sound like I'm hating on doctors. No, not at all. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to point I'm out like, to people that, you know, there's, you know, us talking about this stuff is just a given. Someone's going to comment and like think that we're bashing on various different things. But all we're saying is, is that, no, there's a system that runs the U.S. that's not really ran by the people it should be. You know, yeah. people that actually are educated in medical, uh, medical uh, treatments. And, you know, it's, it's run by people who are administrative staff at an insurance company or a pharmaceutical rep uh, is, you know, trying to sell, 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 sell based off your health. So, yeah. And you guys, and there's not much to argue with that because like I said, if you guys didn't hear us earlier that U S and New Zealand are only countries in the entire world that allow pharmaceutical advertising. 
that should you know it's it's a drug that's man-made and that makes profit off of people's illness like you don't think that's a little bit <laughs> so it's it's just crazy to think that we have this you know you know a lot of people back them up too that people don't really know is you know they're thinking that it's for the the greater good uh give these yeah. medications and you know it's like there's a there's a time and a place. There is a time and place for medications, for sure. You, I'm not, yeah. Like but, in the hospital, you have, like, that's all I did was give medications in ICU. Yeah. Like, you're saving a life. You're giving lots of medications. Like, lots. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, you're trying to save a life. Now, there is a time and place for them, but preventative care, where we just like, oh, I have, you know, I'm having. I have heartburn. Here, take this med. Yeah. Wait a second. Did you even talk about their diet? <laughs> yeah. I bet if you just stop drinking coffee eight times a day, you might yeah. have a little bit better, but we're going to take a medication. That yeah. Coffee and spaghetti for breakfast. Oh, here's this <laughs> med. Yeah. yeah. Just take this so that way you don't have the symptoms, but we're not going to. Yeah. Continue eating your spaghetti continue and, eating so and then we'll increase the dose. Yeah. Continue eating it so that way your, your esophagus is still getting eroded by your, your gastric acid. Yes. And then later on you get esophageal cancer because, you know, your esophagus has been getting eaten away your entire life. So. These are the types of things that people don't think about because we're, you know, we're nurses. We understand like what goes on with the body and like what, how things cascade into each other and how chronic illness happens. And, you know, the general population out there may not know, like things lead into each other. And so the exact same thing happens with pharma, like pharmaceuticals, medications lead into each other. That's literally true. You get put on a medication and they, you know, if you're going to start taking something long-term, you might want to look into it very heavily and yeah, see do your own actually, research see if it's actually mm -hmm. and it's not like i said it's not the doctor's fault a lot of the times you know but make sure you're doing your due diligence on your own health and making sure that this is the right thing for you because more than likely that medication could potentially cause another issue later on so yeah so i think we we ranted enough about everything um there's you know there's more where that came from. yeah there's more that came from. we'll we'll probably do another <laughs> podcast about we can do a whole another podcast about mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals and um, maybe we'll eventually, well, we are having a nurse, another nurse, uh, coming on the podcast in a few weeks that, um, that, you know, controversial topic here, but, uh, you know, vaccine mandates that happened, not just for nurses, but for a lot of professions. And we're going to talk about yeah. the impact of what vaccine mandates did to people's lives. Um, we can talk a little bit about, uh, what, how that really impacted a lot of different people. And then, you know, specifically, yeah. of course, since we're nurses, we're going to talk about how that happened, what happened when nurses were mandated and what were, what was the data behind all that. So that'll be interesting. So, yeah, but thank you guys for watching again and uh, we'll see you guys in the next one.